Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Kenny Young for Tethered, a VR game for PlayStation. Kenny will be with us shortly, but first you'll hear from Swedish composer Douglas Holmquist. We thought this might be a good week to have a double feature, so yeah, there's two fantastic scores for you to hear. Douglas wrote the music for a new and totally freaking incredible mobile game called Pinout. Pinout is made by Mediocre Games, and I love this game so much, and I love this music so much. actually made music and sound design for all the games that Mediocre have uh, put out. Okay. So they started about five years ago, just two guys back then, mm-hmm. Dennis and Henrik. They're like childhood friends and they, they had wanted to make a game together for a long time. And like when the iPad came out, they re- realized that they had some ideas that might, might work for like an iPad game based on water physics. Mm-hmm. And that turned into the game Sprinkle, which was their first game. They wanted uh, some music for that, and they came to think of a band that they both liked. A band that I was in between uh, 2002 and 2004, maybe, Okay. called Dr. Higgins. Okay. So they decided to try to get in touch with somebody from that band, and I had the most unusual name in the band, so they googled my name. <laughs> and that was a lucky thing, because the other guys in the band, they're, they're not into music anymore. Oh. Uh, like one is a chef, and one is a graphic designer, and so on. Okay. But I happened to be working as you know, like a musician, music producer, and also I happened to live in the same city as Dennis. Oh, nice. So that was a really fun and weird circumstance. So I, I like made all the music and sound design for all the games, and Pinout is our seventh game, I think. Talk to me about, you know, deciding on the music direction for Pinout. Well, when they got the idea to make like an endless sort of pinball game, mm-hmm. they like almost straight away had the idea to make it like really 80s influence, like mm-hmm. lots of laser and like blinking lights and stuff. And they wanted like an 80s inspired soundtrack as well. Mm-hmm. And perhaps what they were looking for was like a retro wave or synth wave soundtrack. It's like Mm -hmm. the updated sort of version of 80s music. But what I heard in my head was something more like an 80s pop song style. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So when we when we talked about it, we thought we had the exact same vision, but it turned out that I I had kind of a more of a like poppy thing in my head. So the first few sketches that I sent them were, they were like, no, this isn't what we talked about. <laughs> so it took a while to like find the common ground there because mm-hmm. they were more into like the, like the kind of music that's on the drive soundtrack and that kind of stuff. Okay. So in okay. the beginning we, yeah, it, it took a few tries until we found something that, that felt good for them and for me. And you brought in a singer. Talk to me about her. Oh, yeah. Her name is Susanna Lundgren. She's a singer that I got to know like 10 years ago. She used to live in Malmö, where I live. Mm-hmm. But then about five years ago, she moved to Gothenburg. And we didn't have a lot of contact for a few years. Mm-hmm. But back around the time when she lived in Malmö, she was actually in seven bands at the same time. Because oh everybody God. wanted her in, in, their, in their band. Wow. She's such a good singer and she's yes. so good at like finding harmony vocals. And mm-hmm. she's a great keyboard player as well. When I contacted her, she told me that the only kind of music that she was really into right now is exactly the kind of music that I wanted to make for Pen Out. That was also a lucky circumstance because she used to be in lots of like indie rock, like okay. folk kind of bands. Yep. So I thought that was her main thing, but it turned out she was really into this 80s inspired electronic stuff. Did you listen to anyone to kind of inspire you or or just the fact that you more or less grew up in that era too was uh, easy enough for you to kind of settle into it? Yeah, since I grew up with some of this music, I think I have quite a good understanding of, (laughs) you know, the the kinds of sounds that I wanted. But still, I got some reference tracks from from the guys at Mediocre. Not that many, actually. And I didn't want to listen to too much uh, like contemporary retrowave stuff and I didn't want to go back and listen too much to older stuff that would be relevant as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. I mean I love like John Carpenter soundtracks and mm-hmm. Tangerine Dream and Vangelis and all that stuff yeah. and I've listened to it quite a bit but I didn't want to be too influenced by mm-hmm. it so I didn't actually listen to that much 
gotcha. while I was uh, writing the songs. So you did all the sound design too then, all the effects and such? Yeah. Okay, because I love how when you hit a bumper, it's that tom sound. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> just great. Yeah, that's a really nice touch. <laughs> that wasn't actually my idea from the beginning. I think uh, Henrik, uh, the graphics guy, I think mm-hmm. he just tried it out with one of those tom sounds. I think mm-hmm. it's from a Simmons drum machine from the 80s. Tell us a little bit more about the game. To me, the replay value is there because I keep wanting to beat my old times. So for those who haven't played it, can you explain a little bit more about how the game works? It's sort of marketed as an endless pinball game. And that's quite true in the sense that a normal pinball game is just one table and you're constricted to that area. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's like we took the top off and then just made a table that's like, a kilometer long or something (laughs) and then there's different obstacles and different kind of ramps and things you need to unlock and like and there's even some enemy balls attacking you in some of the levels and there's mini games too right oh yeah talk to me about the mini games i think i've found them all and they are super fun and each one has its own music right yeah they do they all have like what some people call fake bit soundtracks. So it's kind of like 8-bit music that I sort of faked with a really cool plugin. They wanted to make use of that like LED screen that's that's on the top of the screen. Mm-hmm. Make a couple of mini games for that. So they made three takes on really classic '80s arcade games. So I used this plugin, and then I uh, actually filtered the sound through a virtual speaker to get that kind of uh, really narrow sound as far as frequencies go. <laughs> I'd like to know a little bit more about your background. I got into music like quite early. My mom is really musical and she always used to play the guitar around the house when I was a kid and she plays the violin as well. And mm. I think she, she had wanted to be a professional musician, but she ended up being a teacher instead, which mm-hmm. she enjoyed. But I think she always like had that dream of being a musician. So she's yeah. uh, really proud of the fact that I work with music which is nice Mm -hmm. so she like taught me the basic chords on guitar and piano when I was like 12 and at the same time I had a really really great music teacher in school so those two things inspired me to the point that from like one day to another music was my only interest before that I was like really into drawing and playing soccer and stuff like that but then Mm -hmm. overnight it was only music so from the age of 12 that's like been my main thing
13, 14, started playing in bands and stuff. Around that time, it was like the grunge era. So that was the thing we wanted to do, like Nirvana, Pearl Jam influence yeah. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when I was 15, we moved from Stockholm to Malmo. And then I met some people there who were really into, almost exclusively into like American hardcore and post-hardcore and emo and that kind of stuff, like in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. So then, then that was like my only interest that kind of music and then i got really into post-rock also mainly american bands like tortoise and the scene cake and gastrile soul and and also mm-hmm. electronic music around the same time mostly british stuff though like the Aphex twin yeah that kind of stuff <laughs> yeah that stuff's so, amazing during this time i was usually in, like in one or a couple of bands I was like influenced by the stuff that I listened to at the time. Mm-hmm. So, and that kept on going. And some of the bands started releasing records and playing like festivals and touring Scandinavia. Mm-hmm. So, I did that like between say 19 and 25. I did a lot of touring. <laughs> Then when I was 28 or something, I decided to try to make a living uh, (laughs) making music. Because before that, I just had, you know, random jobs, like Mm -hmm, at the post mm -hmm. office and like schools and stuff. And then a friend of mine had gotten like one of the early YouTube hit videos. He's like a stop motion animator. Oh, he nice. had a really big hit back, you know, when YouTube was new, two thousand seven mm-hmm. or something. So then he got deals to make like animated commercials for British and American production companies, mm-hmm. and then he needed music for that. So I started to pitch stuff, and then oh, great! Eventually, something got picked up, and then then I could make a living from it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> so, that's great. Yeah. So the first few years, it was mainly like making music for TV commercials and some mm-hmm. sound design for music videos and uh, stuff like that. And then for the past five years, it's been mainly music for video games. gamer yourself yeah absolutely although yeah. i have a like quite a big gap in my gaming when playstation first came out mm-hmm. i just lost interest because i didn't like the first person thing <laughs> oh okay yep back then i wasn't into either just the whole uh, the actual perspective i didn't like i didn't like the shooters like and i didn't like doom and all that stuff that okay. all my friends were into so but yeah. before that i was super into like point-and-click adventure games, LucasArts games and Sierra yeah. games and all that stuff. Definitely. Uh, and also I played lots of like Nintendo and Commodore 64 at like my friends' houses. Yep. Now I even like some first-person perspective games. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thank you. 
seriously have been blown away by your work and really honored to have you on the show. And uh, yeah. Thank you so much. Douglas sent me a message explaining more of the techniques he used to create the music for Pinout, and you can see what he said at patreon.com slash level. You can also hear all his music on Bandcamp under Douglas Holmquist. All right. Kenny Young has been on the show in the past to talk about his music for Tearaway and the Little Big Planet series. His new score is for Tethered, a PlayStation VR game that came out just a few weeks ago. He used all kinds of instruments in this, as he often does, uh, but he used a a very special instrument called the nickel harpa, which, a lot like our last guest, is from Sweden. And Kenny made his own program in order to implement the music exactly how he wanted. That's crazy. Tethered is a PlayStation VR title. It just came out at the end of October, about a week after the PlayStation VR launched. So it wasn't a a launch title. It was a launch window title. (laughs) And um, it's made by a developer called Secret Sorcery, who are uh, a new indie developer in the UK. And it is a strategy game. And it's reminiscent of the God games, which I played a lot of when I was a teenager. So things like the Bullfrog stuff, like Populous, uh, mm-hmm. and Lionhead stuff like Black and White. And although most VR experiences and games that people are making are first person, I guess all... <laughs> this is a weird thought, but I guess all VR games are first person because you're looking out of your own eyes. So <laughs> that's a bit of a strange thought, but this one's kind of uh-huh. third person because you're looking down on these little magical floating islands. So uh, to give people who are listening and I, a sense of what it feels like, it's a bit like tabletop gaming. It's like you're looking down at your Warhammer figures or whatever down there on your table. That's the sense of scale that you've got. So you're looking down and you look around and you've got the sky above you and you're you're just kind of this floating godlike character. And you look down in this world and these little peep characters who you've got to help. And so the main mechanic in the game, the game's called Tether, the main mechanic is to tether anything in the game to something else. And that's how you interact with stuff. So you look at a cloud, you hit X, you then look at a peep and let go and the cloud acts on the peep. And that's all you do in this game. So it sounds a bit like, is that it? But because it's a strategy <laughs> game, there's a lot going on. And the, one of the pressures that comes is that at night, and there's a day-night cycle. And uh, during the day, you're gathering resources, looking after your peeps, hatching eggs, growing more peeps. And then nighttime comes, and you need to fight off these creatures of the night that come to steal your resources and make life difficult for you, basically. Okay. So that's that's the basic premise of it. The first meeting I had with the developers, I, I... you know, I, I tried on the VR kit and, and had a, a play of it. And um, 
it's one of those things. Like I think all VR games, if you look at the trailers online, mm-hmm. it just completely fails to convey what the the VR experience is like. Sure. And uh, when I first put the headset on, and I'd already experienced some VR stuff, so it wasn't like this wasn't my you know popping my VR cherry, which <laughs> is a thing because it's such a yes dramatic and profound experience the first time you do that um, yes that's what makes everyone start <laughs> rabbiting on about vr and people who haven't experienced it are just like what's all the fuss about you really do need to try it to experience yes. this but yes. you really do feel like you're transported to another world and that's the best way of describing it which sounds like some sort of hippie <laughs> <laughs> like I've, I've i've been taking some substances but it's it's absolutely a transformative kind of out-of-the-body experience and that's why people are so excited about it and the first time I tried out Tethered at Secret Sorcery's offices I was just like this is cool I mean, I was just really excited to pitch on the game. And when I won that, I was just like, awesome. Because this is my first game as a freelancer as well. Oh, um, nice. Basically. Wonderful. And it, it technically, it's the first time anyone's really properly commissioned me to write music. Because previously, that was a <gasps> bit like me just as an audio director, you know, yep. taking advantage of that position to write some music. But this this was people who actually wanted me <laughs> wow. to do it, um, asking me to do it. So that felt a bit different and a new experience for me sure yeah I was really excited just to uh, get stuck in and uh, make it sound lovely of the creative director you you knew who he was uh, because he's also in audio right right so alan mcdermott the creative director at secret sorcery was formerly until uh, actually the line's a bit blurred but alan was the the audio director at evolution studios which was sony's racing studio in the uk uh, unfortunately, Evo got shut down about sort of six months ago, at the beginning of 2016. Mm. And Alan and a bunch of other people from Evolution Studios left, like you know, 18 months ago, and started their 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 company, Secret Sorcery. And um, they had they had me working on VR stuff at Evolution Studios already for a number of years, mm. so they're super experienced. And so naturally, when they started their company, they were looking at doing VR stuff, mm-hmm. and they prototyped a bunch of things. And uh, tethered is what they came up with, the sort of the the God game idea. But as an opportunity, working with someone who is a creative director who has all the skills and experience of a hardened audio director is exceptionally yeah. unusual. Like that just basically doesn't happen. Right. I'm sure there are some audio people who've made it into design roles and other director positions. There, there must be examples. I remember hearing about one of the audio directors at Dice making it to being a design director or you know gameplay mm-hmm. director at dice and um, that's the only other example i'm aware of i'm mm-hmm. not aware of any other people doing that maybe marty o'donnell and his new company has got yep. a bit more than a composer hat he's wearing there or an audio director hat but anyway it's super rare to have the opportunity as a composer to work with someone who really knows their stuff but crucially because like you can work with audio directors but the audio directors they don't have as much power <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> as the creative director. So that combo of someone who is, you know, got much more creative responsibility for the project, who also knows about audio, is what is exceptional. I'd love to take credit for all the cool stuff we've done in the audio experience in this game. And, and I'll try my best. But uh, <laughs> the truth is that, you know, of course, so much of it came from Alan's direction and um, just being able to bounce ideas off, off of each other and inspire each other to do cool stuff was uh, the highlight of this project. And it's what made working on it so attractive to me. We'll get into, we're kind of on a roll here with, with this idea, so we'll get into some specifics music-wise in, in a minute, but one of the things that you said in a video that Secret Sorcery posted online is how desperately, for you know, my word, not yours, you, <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to not take people out of the out of the experience because of music or sound you you wanted yeah. all of that to be integral and Definitely. not extra I mean, that, world i think that's a general trend not the right word but like that's like as an approach that is like sort of 101 for creating vr experiences it's so easy to take people out of the vr experience you put the headset on you feel like you're somewhere else Anything mm -hmm. that happens that reminds you that you're not somewhere else <laughs> is going to yeah. take you out of it. And it, you're just a lot more sensitive to that in VR than you are in a normal game where you're looking at a TV or a monitor or, mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's because I think you're perhaps you are directly comparing it to the real world more because mm -hmm. you feel like you're looking out of your own eyes at a place. If the way the world behaves doesn't meet your expectations, like it's not like a dramatic fail. It's not like you go, ah, oh, this is rubbish, take the heads off. It's just, yeah. it's, it's quite a subtle thing. So for example, in, in Tethered, the thing that they were aware of is that having, it's quite common in a normal game, particularly in a strategy game, there's a lot going on. It's quite important to communicate to the player what is going on around them in the world. Yeah, you because know, you you're built, like growing crops or you exactly. know making spawn or something you know yeah all yeah. kinds of things you, you happening you, all you the time. set things in going and then it's important that the game tells you when things are ready and when they're done what's mm -hmm. happening mm -hmm. and normally a big part of that would be if you think of a game like civilization or something it's to have like pop-ups coming up telling you this has happened this has happened this mm -hmm. has happened mm -hmm. you know and that totally works and it works in VR too, but it's just a little bit clunky. Like if you if you have a, if you think about it, there's no. You're just like looking at this world. So if something pops up in the screen in a, in the HUD, like heads up display, mm -hmm. then that's just a bit weird. That doesn't happen in reality. So it's just a little <laughs> bit unexpected and just a little bit odd. So it, it works in a utilitarian sense. You're still getting the information, mm -hmm. but it just feels a bit weird, and it kind of ruins the amazing sense of immersion. Because it's sort of reminding you that you're playing a game rather than looking at this this magical floating island. Yes. And so Alan's idea was it was wasn't fully formed at the beginning of the project, but he was basically like, I'm sure there's something we can do where we can communicate this information through sound and music. And what he really wanted me to look at was pushing the music side of things. So really using music stingers as sound effects. Hmm. With the thinking being that you know, sound effects play a really important role in reminding players of stuff. And you can create 
uh, quite a good word here is uh, iconographic. So stuff that will, once you've heard it two or three times, it begins to take on meaning. And every time you hear it, you know what has happened. Mm-hmm. But you can really help players out by using music in a similar technique because I think it's easier, because music is kind of patterns, it's easier mm-hmm. for people to remember you know, note sequences and rhythms and it just makes it more memorable, I think, than mm-hmm. pure sound effects. Mm-hmm. So we would use combinations of both where, say, an example from the game is like an egg falls from the sky. That's actually the first thing that happens in each level. So you've got the little whooshing, whizzing sound of this egg falling down with a little propeller on it. <laughs> Picture the scene. <laughs> falling, falling down from the sky. But at the same time, we've got this, it's not a glissando, but it's a harp falling arpeggio motif. And the first time you hear it, you're like, cool, whatever. <laughs> and then every time that happens, you've got the same sort of falling harp arpeggio. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And every time you hear that, you begin to then know that an egg is falling. Yes. And so it's a really simple technique. And this isn't the first game to do that. Like, this is uh, something that, you know, many games have done. But the reason it's shied away from is you've got the awkward problem of if you play a music stinger mm-hmm. on top of the underlying bed music, yep. then they're going to clash. Yes. So Or interrupt what, each other, one of the two. Yeah, yeah, you've got to sort of <laughs> choose, like, but and neither of those are satisfactory. <laughs> right, right. And the way they solve that problem is by not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but I've solved is, many problems um, that way. <laughs> I, the vast majority, and I'm not kidding, maybe even all, it wouldn't be a, like, it's, it's maybe a white lie, but let's, for the sake of argument, say every game I've worked on, at some point in a meeting, someone has said, why isn't that sound in tune with the the music? Surely that is like easy because I can hear it's wrong, so fix it, right? (laughs) And that's really common because quite often uh, gameplay sounds and things like um, UI elements and menu elements have a little musical tone in them, you know, because audio people just can't help, we can't help ourselves from doing that stuff because it just, it's it's good. But it clashes with the music and it's not awful, it's just a little bit annoying. And so... People don't fix that because what you then have to do is you've got to track the chords in the music. And that's just like extra work. (laughs) There's enough stuff going on when you're trying to make a game. So people steer away from that. And we decided, no, (laughs) we're going to do this. But then the tricky thing was we weren't using any middleware here. So we weren't using Wise or FMO. And Wise actually has some pretty good music stinger stuff in there already that you you can use. And we weren't using that. We were using this. This game was developed in Unreal, um, and Unreal has a pretty good, but not quite as sophisticated as Wise or or the F mods of this world <laughs> built-in audio system. Okay, it's better than the stock system that's in uh, Unity, the other sort of flavor of middleware engine, uh, game <laughs> engine that people u- use quite frequently these days. But the Unreal one's not bad, um, but it doesn't have this kind of interactive music system in it. So I made one. <laughs> what? Which is crazy. So that's cool crazy. Thing, it is quite mad. I can, I'm not. I like. 
I said that because it's impressive, and it, it's kind of true. <laughs> it is. It's so impressive. Did you like code it all and all that? Sort of. It's it's more like it's visual scripting. So Unreal Four, the latest version, has this visual scripting system called Blueprints, and okay. um, it, it's super powerful. And it, effectively, it's coding, but it's it's scripting because it's kind of it's high level coding. But you can do some quite sophisticated stuff with it. And um, hmm. I spent it was two weeks in total, I think, just um, basically creating a prototype that would allow for music stingers to play on beat boundaries with the to match the the timing of the music, underlying music yes. is playing the level. And if the chord changed whilst the stinger is playing, that the mm-hmm. stinger will update in real time to match. So that that's how we got, like, once that's up and working, and so I, I basically prototyped it and got it working. And what I made proved that it was possible in Unreal. And um, I, everything I'd read had said that this wasn't possible. All the examples I'd heard were pretty compromised and not something I would want to have put into a like a professional game so yeah yeah i don't know how i managed to get it to work <laughs> i wonder if we were lucky because vr games have to run at frame rate otherwise people get sick right and one of the reasons that this would normally not work in unreal i think is because if your frame rate drops then your mm-hmm. sense of timing gets messed up and it means your stingers would be out of sync with the music oh. um, i wonder if that's why we managed to get it to work but like it just it was seemed really robust so we went with <laughs> it and i passed over the prototype to uh Scott Kirkland, uh, who's the managing director, but also one of the coders at Secret Sorcery. And Scott's only had to spend, I think, two or three days taking what I had made and making mm-hmm. it scalable and, you know, <laughs> doing more programmery things with it. Incredible. Um, but that was one of those things where I sort of, <laughs> sort of <laughs> went through hell. <laughs> yeah. Sort of teaching myself all this um, Unreal and Blueprint stuff so that I could make this happen because it was clear that those guys didn't have time to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that if I could get it far enough that it would, you know, excite them and they would want to do it. So I did this work and then a few months passed and we still <laughs> didn't have it in the game. And oh. then I met up with Scott at a conference and over a beer, <laughs> we talked about how we could make it work. So I had slightly, not over-engineered it, but I had like, there's things I wanted to do which we decided were going to be bottlenecks. Like, so for example, what I really wanted, because, you know, the world revolves around me, <laughs> I wanted them to delay the gameplay to be in time with the... <laughs> <laughs> to be in time oh. with the music too. I was like, <laughs> until I we'd actually got this working, my assumption was that if you play a sound or play the music stinger, uh, and d- you're essentially delaying that. So rather than, because normally you just like play it and it would play as soon as you say play. Yes. What you're doing is you're delaying it to be in time with the next uh, boundary in the music that you've mm-hmm. defined. Mm-hmm. What I wanted them to do was delay the gameplay event as well to that exact same moment so that the music stinger and the gameplay event would be at the exact same time. Sure. And that was where actually all the the scary work was for those guys is me saying, I'm going to mess with your game. Because <laughs> like, you know, in a strategy game, it's all about timing and da da da. Yes. So they, just, they weren't really comfortable with that. And it was getting a bit late in the day. So over this point, we agreed that what we would do is we wouldn't delay the gameplay. And also I wanted stuff to be delayed to... Uh, 
bar boundaries rather than beat boundaries because it would just sound better for a mm-hmm. stinger to start on a bar than it would be on a beat because yes. you know the beat could be like you know could be beat four or something like that and it's just a yeah. little bit like yeah, I would want yeah. everything to be perfect and I was like okay I tell you what we'll not do it over a gameplay and we'll do it on a beat boundary and that way the maximum amount of time that the music can be delayed by is going to be a second because mm-hmm. um, I wrote everything at 60 beats per second nice <laughs> because all the stingers are at 60 BPM too. So if I had different yep. tempos, I would have to author new stingers. So it's all this yes. like world of pain. And so to minimize any of the pain, all the music's at 60 BPM. It's not all in the same key. The, sure. the knock-on I had if I created a bit of music that had a new chord in it or new chords is that I would then have to author new stingers yeah. for those chords. And then there's a whole sort of world of pain there as well, which is that so the, the score's sort of hybrid. It's uh, string quartet, which is me playing those those four instruments. Jeez. It's actually quite often quintet, which because like I guess my string writing's not quartet writing's not good enough to get quite the harmony I want. So it always <laughs> just throw an extra violin on the top there, and then <laughs> that's backed up with analog synth, and then it's in the box orchestra, and then there's a bunch of solo instrumentation, which is stuff that I've played. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you can't use commercial samples as samples, right? Which is a cryptic sentence, but what I mean by that is. You can't just take like your favorite in the box orchestra and then like write a stinger and then put that in the game. Actually, you can do that because a stinger is basically a short bit of music. So I think in terms of the license agreement, you can just about get away with that. But because mm-hmm. what I was doing was cutting the stingers up into one beat chunks, mm-hmm. you're basically using the samples as samples and that's not allowed. So I had to create any any of the the music singers in the game are all bespoke recordings. So <sighs> that harpless is that's my mum's klarsach that I've you know I've sampled that and made a little contact instrument so that I can um, author those motifs yeah. in any different to match any different chord. If you hear a cello, that's that's me playing the cello. Although that sounds like a whole bunch of work, like it's really. Th- the only way to do this and then if you think about the pipeline in terms of I write a new piece of music that has a chord that I don't have yet it means that I can very quickly just go into my like a nuendo session and I'm I'm tweaking some midi notes at that point to get the chord that I want rather than having to oh I'll grab my cello oh I'll grab my (laughs) mum's harp do you know what I mean it's like that's not (laughs) that's got to be the way you do it so you can see why people don't do this it's just like (laughs) yes it's just so much work. but And the thing is, the end result, it's pretty subtle. <laughs> in, the, in the sense that I think your average person playing it, it's like, it's, it's a tragedy of good audio. If, if yes. it's working well, no one notices it. And right. this is one of those cases, um, even though it's actually, it's a really cool device because it's communicating information to the player. And without that information, the game would be, it wouldn't be impossible to play, but it would be a lot harder. The music here is really, it's central to how you play the game because it's communicating to you that stuff is going on here, there, and everywhere. But it just works. And I think people playing the game just sort of, they come to learn what these music stingers mean and they just accept it. And, you know, they don't think this is what's happening. It just works for them. And so you do all this work and then, you know, no one notices. But that's, you know... (laughs) I think that's what this this job is about, is about, you know, making the the player experience as good as it possibly can be and not necessarily wanting everyone to tell you you're wonderful. (laughs) 
Well, the music is super chill. So uh, talk yeah. to me and, and beautiful and, uh, you know, folky at times and, and just happy. Like, um, yeah. So, I mean, there's the, there's an aspect of that which is driven by virtual reality as well. Is, is that it is quite intense to be transported to another world. Yeah. And some developers are playing up on that and they're making really intense experiences. Mm-hmm. But I think even an experience like this, which, you know, you start a level up and you're just in this, you're looking down this little island, even that's quite intense, just being there, seeing that. I know it's, again, it sounds a little bit hippie-ish, but it, <laughs> it's quite full on. And so the music mm-hmm. has this role of just sort of saying, everything's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and because it's a tr- strategy game and things, it's a bit like, my analogy for that is it's like it's plate spinning, you know, you know those like yep. magicians who are like, I'm spinning the plates over here and this one's about to fall. And ooh. <laughs> yes. It's like that. And the music is just saying, yeah, everything's cool. Don't worry about it. Don't drop any plates. <laughs> and if you do drop a plate, it's saying, don't worry about it. There's more plates. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So that's why the music is generally super chill. And for me, again, because of that tempo restriction and everything's written at 60 BPM, mm-hmm. I was trying to find ways to uh, sort of <laughs> get around that as yeah. best I could. So there was a few things in this project that sort of helped me grow <laughs> as a composer. <laughs> one was that one of Alan's brilliant bits of direction was, you know, you shouldn't be able to dance. <laughs> to any of this music and you know a lot of the music that I'd written in the past has been because I've been working on platformers it is quite upbeat and it is quite la 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 yes and I'm also really good at that like I I think Mm -hmm. maybe as a fiddle player just you know you're used to I guess dance music is in in my bones in some ways and if you listen to the last the last track on the album is actually the the pitch that I wrote um, I wondered about that yeah I wondered so that was me doing my like absolute damnedest to like not create something you could dance to It was like, even though I got the gig, Alan's immediate feedback was that like that was still, still too much, too much melody, too much stuff. And I was like, what? That was me trying my hardest. (laughs) So that was one of the things I was really fighting against on this project was trying to just reel that in and Mm -hmm. try and make music that that breathes. Mm -hmm. And I think you can, I think you can hear that. I 
did all the sound in this game as well. Alan did the the background damages, but I did all the all, all, all the other sounds in the game basically. And so I was really busy with that, and there mm-hmm. wasn't much time <laughs> to write right, the music. Right. So I wrote twelve minutes up front for their E three demo, and then there's there's almost an hour of music in the game. So. I must have written the best part of, you know, 40, 45 minutes in, in about four weeks, which is... That's, that's a lot. A, that's a lot. That's a lot. It was a lot for me. Um, it's, but yeah. it, 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 it was easier, easy. it was doable in the sense that because the music is so chilled, mm-hmm. the, the pieces generally aren't stacked too deep in terms of instrumentation. You've got the quartet, you've got some analog synth. And then you've got, you know, a bit of percussion maybe and mm-hmm. like a, a solo instrument on top. So th- once you've got your sort of basic idea for the track, it just kind of writes itself <laughs> and um, <laughs> and, it, and it's fine. And because, you know, the, the process for me is it's sort of driven by, I guess there's two approaches. One was to just let the underlying sort of string quartet harmonic progression drive the track and then you know, improvise over the top mm-hmm. and then sort of cement that performance. Or it was to do the other way around and start with the solo instrumentation. So with the nickel harper, which is that was one of my new toys. <laughs> Yes, on this project. we have to talk about this. Yes. So if people don't know the nickel harper, and I've, I've no. wanted one for years because it is one of these sort of obscure folk instruments that's just awesome. <laughs> it's amazing. So like the video that I made explains it best. So I found this great quote online that said that nickel harper is a cross between like your granddad's fiddle and a typewriter. way to describe it because it, yes. you don't you unlike a string instrument like a violin where you put your fingers on the string and this instrument isn't fretted either so you, your fingers don't directly touch the strings you touch these wooden tangents which are 90 degrees to the uh, to the string mm-hmm. and those like so they're like little extensions for your fingers you've got these yeah. little wooden fingers that you touch the string with so it kind of fret touches the, the string mm-hmm. and that gives it this really sort of clickety clackety handmade sound so it's kind of rough and ready, but it just makes it feel really earthy. And and then it's also got, uh, so it's got four strings. It's, it's roughly the same sort of um, pitch as a viola. So it's somewhere between a violin and a cello. It's, a, okay. it's, it's a fairly big instrument. 
and but it's also got these 12 sympathetic strings so a bit like you know how a hard danger fiddle has f i think it's four sympathetic strings mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in it this thing's got 12 sympathetic strings that you don't play that just resonate so it's yep. got this really amazing ethereal reverberant sort of heavenly sound Plus, it's got the gritty, clacky thing going on. So it's this weird, real kind of conundrum of an <laughs> instrument that doesn't quite know what it's doing. But yep. um, I got my instrument from a guy who, he's, he's not a maker, he's more of a, <laughs> I think more of a, a, a repairer and tinkerer <laughs> who aspires to make nickel harpa. And he's been to Sweden and had lessons from some of the top makers over there and stuff. So he, he, is, he's, he is going for it. But the instrument I got, there was a, so it's a Swedish folk instrument comes from the north of Sweden. It's strongly associated with the, the iron mining there. Okay. And if you can think about people who are mining all day, they might not have so many fingers. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so having an instrument that doesn't require the utmost of precision in your finger movements. Yeah, because all you got to do is hit you, those keys. Exactly. You can see that, you know, I don't think that that, I think I can see why there's a link there. Like that, that makes sense. You know, people who are working hard, who've got arthritis yeah. and missing fingers, need an easier instrument to play. And um, that's sort of where it comes from. And um, there was a government-sponsored night classes in the, I think the seventies and eighties, because the instrument and the culture was dying out. Hmm. You could go and learn how and build yourself a nickel harpa for cheap or free. I can't remember which. Oh, fun! And so the, the one that I've got is a early eighties model, and uh, so it it looks pretty rough and ready as well. <laughs> it's not the finest instrument in the world, and it doesn't. Mine's got a lot of extra buzzes and stuff on it, which pretty sure shouldn't be there. But again, it's all <laughs> part of the charm. Uh, what was it like? Because, you know, you are very adept at string instruments and many other instruments. So uh, what what was that transition like to kind of figure out your way around the nickel harpa? Oh, it, well, it, like, so like the, I guess, with any string instrument, um, because it's it's not so hard to do fingering for me on the left hand, I've got the bowing down, although you do sort of, <laughs> you're always in danger of stabbing yourself in the eye with the nickel <laughs> harpa. I don't even know if I'm holding it properly. There's two sort of schools of thought about how you should hold it. Um, okay. I just did what was comfortable for me. Yep. And you're sort of pushing the bow in and out towards your body and over your shoulder a little bit. It's kind of weird. And so it was really, for me, it was just about getting the left hand down. And right. um, because I wasn't, there's, there's, there's one piece that's got some, quite fast sort of stuff in it um, it's like my classical piece and it sounds a bit like a, a fiddle on that and that's the yeah. thing I think a lot of people think they're listening to a, a violin but mm -hmm, that's the mm -hmm. nickel harper being played in this sort of classical style <laughs> I've even got harps chords in there That's one of the really nice things that you can do is if you're, if you're not scared to pick up an instrument, then 
I, I really like that later on in that track, the Nickel Harper is just mir- being mirrored by the uh, the in the box uh, string in the orchestra, yeah. strings in the orchestra, mm-hmm. and just having the eccentricities of Nickel Harper on top makes the orchestra sound a lot more live and real. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, I'd already learned that lesson from working with Brian on Tearaway, who like takes that to like the nth degree by like multi-tracking sure, <laughs> orchestras sure. and stuff, one-man orchestra. And then um, <laughs> I, I did a bit of that. So whenever there's an orchestra string part, I'm mirroring that on the on either either the cello, the viola, or the or the violin, just mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. and it's mixed in really low, just to so it's like you wouldn't really know it, but it just yeah. gives it an extra amount of liveliness yes and so like I'm I'm really proud of the, the finished result for the album because I've done it all myself yeah. I think it sounds great <laughs> it's amazing I mean, you do have this track record of working on the most goddamn adorable games in the world. <laughs> like, seriously, yeah. when I watched the trailer and I saw the peeps, I was like, oh my God, seriously? that It's just like, <laughs> it's so cute. And, yeah, y- yeah. Y- you know, I, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Well, yeah, I don't, I think what's nice is I don't mind being typecast as the cute guy. <laughs> <laughs> because because I think a project like this as long as it, like, it's got enough because like it's not it looks cute and again I don't think the trailers do it justice but it is actually one of the most beautiful VR games on PlayStation VR yeah yeah it's actually really dark <laughs> <It's> <laughs> the peep characters if you don't look after them they kill themselves <laughs> <laughs> Right, and so that's one of the ways that the game sucks you in is that you feel really bad that if you mess up <laughs> they, they, they get depressed that and jump off the edge of the world. Crazy. So even though the game is beautiful, um, it's got enough of an edge to it that mm-hmm. even though I'm like the the cute folky guy, there's still some interesting stuff for me to explore there. Yes. And so even though the tracks are quite chilled, at mm-hmm. nighttime, another nice Nickel Harper track is "Some of Us May Fall" from the soundtrack, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. I think that's one of my favorite tracks. It's nice to get some darkness. Jeez. <laughs> or sadness, I suppose. The is there a stinger for journey. that when a peep throws himself <laughs> over the edge? There is. So that's actually probably the most interesting stinger in the game because so we created this tech to allow us to play <laughs> stingers that are consonant <laughs> with underlying music. Yeah. And for that stinger, I turn it around and I intentionally play a dissonant stinger. So mm. knowing what the underlying chord is, I then play a chord that is one semitone above it. Nice. <laughs> or a half so, step for the Americans. That's a half step. There you go. Yeah. Half step. And um, <laughs> so that's actually when a peep gets depressed. So I don't score the, the, the oh. moment where they jump off the edge. But it just that's a really important okay. moment because you do you are able to create a rainbow cloud <laughs> and shine <laughs> the rainbow cloud on them to Wonderful. undepress them. So <laughs> it's a really important sound because when you hear that, you're yep. like, who's depressed? <laughs> Oh my god! And you want amazing. to go and fix it. I like that I was able to sort of turn things around and use the music system to create something intentionally. Yeah, <laughs> horrible sounding. Well, Kenny, thank you. It's always a pleasure to hear new stuff from you. You you really do always uh, 
give me something to enjoy very much. <laughs> oh, thanks, Emily. It's always good fun talking to you. Thanks for listening to episode 46 of Level with Emily Reese. You can learn more about Kenny Young at oddbod.com. That's A-U-D-B-O-D.com. And also at patreon.com slash level. If you like our show, would you rate us on iTunes? Or perhaps you'd like to become a patron? Learn how at patreon.com slash level. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about Sam and me at june-media.com. Remember, June is J-O-O-N.